New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Brooke Williams, advocate for the preservation of wilderness and explorer of both the inner and outer wilderness. He's the author of several books, including Open Midnight, Where Ancestors and Wilderness Meet, and Mary Jane Wild, Two Walks and a Rant. Brooke resides in Utah with his longtime partner and wife and former guest of New Dimensions, Terry Tempest-Williams. I'm speaking with Brooke by remote connection. Welcome, Brooke, to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so delighted to have you here. I know that you're a wanderer in wilderness and more specifically in the desert that surrounds your home in Utah. And you write... When my ideas run out or are no longer serving me, I go wandering in the desert to gather more. And you suggest also that this is helpful to the collective. How so? Help us understand your process. That's a good question. I feel like when I go out wandering, that's sort of walking without a destination. It's an end in itself as opposed to a means to an end. Um, I walk to get from point A to point B, but often I don't. I just wander. And I feel like to do that requires sort of emptying your mind, not having an agenda, and then being exposed to what is going on all around us. And it's often stuff that we can't even really put our finger on. It's unconscious the way we're absorbing the natural world. And what I feel is that there's this life force, which is evolutionary, which is natural selection happening at every level all the time, all around us. And I feel like by being in the middle of it, we're part of that. And we're doing what every other species that is there is doing, and that is what it needs to to survive. So I think that whatever happens out there, I think has its implications in survival of our species, which you know is a little bit in question these days. Exactly. And when you talk about that, that reminds me, maybe our species has been around for 200,000 years. And that's many, 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 many generations. But maybe in the last 10,000 years, which is relatively, you know, short period of time compared to our overall evolution, things really changed 10,000 years ago. And that shifted everything. Can you relay what happened at that time? Well, you know, there's lots of theories about it. And, you know, academics have made their careers on talking about it and and analyzing it and having different theories that they're trying to prove. And who knows what really happened? All I know is that something happened. And in my brain, what happened was that we were for 190,000 years hunters and gatherers. And we lived in small communities of maybe extended families, but we had the same basic brains as we do now. And um, we had a very, very diet. We were healthy. Our bodies were made to live the life that we were living. 
And then at some point, some of our ancestors stopped in the Fertile Crescent and realized that if they planted seeds and waited for them, they could grow their own food. And so to me, that was a big shift. And it had a double-edged sword, which we all know about. And the part of it is that we developed this culture and this amazing trove of art and invention and things that made our lives comfortable. And yet, on the other hand, we also had sort of a, a lesser diet. We had a huge population that is causing problems. So there's a double-edged sword. There's big questions as to whether that's what really happened or not. I mean, Jared Diamond's written about agriculture as being one of the grand mistakes the species ever made. But yet there's this new book, I forget what the name of it is, by the two authors that are sort of debunking a lot of that. I can't think of the name, but I've read 35 pages so far. And basically what they're debunking is that some of the academics believe that before we were farmers, we either were these sort of um, simplistic, very sort of animalistic people, or we were these violent characters that wanted to do nothing but create war and havoc. And I think it's probably neither of those. I think it's this, we're the same. We haven't changed. So I think agriculture, you know, was a big event. And basically our population, which is something we talk about all the time, is dependent on large-scale agriculture. So there's no going back. There's no really perfect way of knowing exactly what happened, but something happened. And the fact that we're where we are now, facing a huge dilemma, huge populations living on the coast, sea level rise, climate change, all these things, suggests that, you know, somewhere along the line, we did something wrong. You said there's no perfect solution. And this reminds me, I used to live in Alabama, and I was teaching school in an all-Black school when George Wallace was running for president and and, um, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated and so forth. And to desegregate schools was then put into law. It took me years to understand the effects of that, however good that they were. However, I mean, I don't know how else we could have done it except to just say, okay, enough is enough. Schools will be integrated. But we lost several generations of beautiful Black creativity in doing that because then the Black leaders then got subsumed by the white culture and they no longer were president of the school class or the president of the debate team or the quarterback of the football teams. And So it just reminds me, you said right now there is no perfect solution. You think very deeply. And in your writing, you're attempting to go beyond that either or thinking. And so it just reflects to me how you are trying to train yourself for a wider bandwidth of thinking. I think there are people out there who can write and write books and write books well. It's writing is so hard for me. It's really hard. It takes me forever. And the only way I can do it is to have like a question that is like eating away at me that I can't answer, that I have to answer. And fortunately, I've been blessed with like sort of an inquisitive nature that I want to look at things, but I really owe a great deal of actually my entire creative life to the writer Bill Kittredge. I don't know if you ever interviewed him, 
he'd passed in the last year, I think. But I took a workshop from him and he looked at all of us and he said, my job is to help you, the student, find the one story that you'll tell over and over again the rest of your life. And I thought at the time how boring that would be to tell the same story over and over again. But I think this has been my story, is that we we live in these evolutionary bodies that are really unchanged since the Pleistocene, and that maybe most of our problems are the result of trying to make them work in a world that's vastly different than the one for which we evolved. And it's a continual thing that will never end because there's no proof of it to find out, to know exactly what happened and get away from all the different political and religious filters that this gets run through in order to control people. What really happened? I love that. It's like expanding ourselves and challenging us to get out of our silos of belief. So in order to do that, we need to know our beliefs. Yeah. And then to look out like you do in your wandering on the desert, to look out at a larger landscape. Having heard the great Paul Shepard you know, the father of human ecology, who I have absolutely loved his work, as complicated as it was, in a lecture once I heard him say that our minds expanded with the vista. He was talking of it in completely evolutionary terms, that when our earliest ancestors climbed down out of the trees and looked out onto this massive savanna, to this vista, that the brain did an unprecedented expansion, that they grew to in a much greater ratio to body weight than they had before. But Paul Shepard was able to help us think through the idea that that's also a metaphor. And I look at it from an individual perspective. And who hasn't felt their mind expand looking out into the vastness of a wild place, for instance? So who knows what's the result of that? Right. Paul Shepard, we have the marvelous opportunity to sit down with him and have a conversation before he passed. And that idea of a large vista just reminds me of the emotion that we feel when we, let's say, see the Grand Canyon for ourselves, not a picture of it, but stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and see it for the first time. That is an awesome experience, and that experience of awe invokes something very positive toward humankind, I think. Well, it's been something I've been thinking about a lot. A few years ago, Terry and I worked at Dartmouth during spring term, and um, my project was to sort of quantify the relationship between wild places and modern human mental health and so on. It's pretty broad. But my discovery of the work of Dacher Keltner there at Berkeley was really a key piece. He had done enough research, he and his colleagues, and they had really quantified the relationship between awe and what he calls pro-social behavior, which to me is the key. If we want the world to be a better place, then more people need to experience awe. And what is awe? For some people, it's, you know, watching a professional basketball game, maybe, or people talk about awe happening in a church. But for the most part, awe, I believe, happens out in the wild world, seeing big vistas, looking at the night sky, 
just having moments totally unexpected where something just happens and you feel this like electric power come up from the ground through your feet and up the back of your neck. That happens and you can't plan it. But Dacher Keltner describes it as happening as a result of the shrinking of the self, where all of a sudden your ego is overwhelmed by beauty, something external from yourself to where yourself shrinks and you can experience this. I think that's really powerful. He's also written about power. And I, I talk about this a little bit in the book. And I asked him this question. I said, all right, so if awe is about the shrinking of the self and it contributes to pro-social behavior, and you write that power is the expansion of the personal self, so that that maybe minimizes pro-social behavior. And he said, yeah, that's got to be right. So the two go hand in hand, that the powerful don't really experience awe in the same way because their self is too big. That's really powerful. So that's saying, wow, everybody in Congress needs to experience awe daily. <laughs> so, well, they, so it might be pro-social. It might be yeah. pro-humankind. Justine, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the news in the past five years, and I've said, boy, that guy needs to get out more. Exactly. I concur. Well, this has been most enlightening and most fun to sit with you and to talk about such things as awe and big vistas and how we can get beyond where we are into a new vista. I've been here with Brooke Williams, and he's the author of several books, including Open Midnight, Where Ancestors and Wilderness Meet. And Mary Jane Wild, Two Walks and a Rant. And to find out more about his work, you can go to his publisher's page, homeboundpublications.com, and put in the search Brooke Williams. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.